And thank you for inviting me to speak here again. I did have one update, which is not as, as fortunate as having my eighth child, Aaron. Last uh, March, I believe, I spoke here to this group. Uh, I spoke about being a grandchild of four Holocaust survivors. And I mentioned my, my Bobby, my grandmother, who was 103 at the time, uh, Bobby Marion, who was, who was a Polish Jew, who was start, from the beginning of 1939 experienced the Holocaust, who had lost her first husband, all of her relatives. And I always said that she said, uh, Baruch Hashem, Yom Yom, she thank God every day. That was always her message to me. She literally lost 10 years of her life, six years in the Holocaust, then uh, the DP camps for years as well. Uh, before she went back to any form of normalcy. And normalcy was really moving to America, to a new country, uh, to start her life over after basically 10 years of craziness. But she always said, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. Uh, she, she passed away recently. Um, but, you know, her legacy with me, with my children, uh, with my, 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 my siblings' children, and my siblings, my cousins, really lives on. And when I was here today, I really feel privileged to speak to such a group today. As you're singing the, the Hanukkah candles, uh, you know, although I'll be in a Hanukkah, as we decided, but as a remembrance for a special person and an appreciation for the upcoming holiday of Hanukkah. You know, it reminded me of my own Bubby, who would speak in Yiddish. And really, I feel honored to speak to such a group of people who not only represent the millions of Jews who passed away honorably, but who represent the living. And it's really an honor to be here, and you should all feel fortunate to get together to recognize both the deceased and to honor life itself, to be able to light Hanukkah candles. You know, my, my, my wife's grandfather, I'm going to see with the Nuremberg trials, last time I really focused on my, my grandparents who I grew up with. My wife's, uh, some, her, 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 some of her grandparents were in the Holocaust as well. Her grandfather uh, was a survivor. I, I mentioned last time, I'll, I'll reiterate that... Uh, you know, my wife uh, on her mother's side is very Hungarian background, and you know we joked around when we were dating. I said it's very interesting because my bubby, my bubby passed away. She used to always say that the way it was in Pol- in, in Europe was Poland was on the top, then came Galicia, and the worst was Hungary. So my- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for Yossi. <laughs> so then my wife said, that's so funny because her grandmother used to say, Hungary was on the top, <laughs> then came Galicia, and the worst was Poland. <laughs> so we both got were happily married. Uh, but her, her grandfather was a survivor who lost almost all of his family. And he went to the Nuremberg trials. He was living in Firth after the Holocaust. And he went there uh, to see, but he, you know, we remarked on how in the, ca- in, the, in, the, in the concentration camps, how Jews tried to keep mitzvahs. You know, this whole story about them blowing shofar in the concentration camps. And so today, we're all of us who are children or survivors or children's sons or grandchildren survivors, that we can have the discussion of when we should light the Hanukkah candles and how we should do it is a big bracha. We should appreciate it. So today... As mentioned, uh, when we speak of the Nuremberg Trials, it's 70 years since the original punishments. So I want to do four things. Number one, I want to give a brief history of the Nuremberg Trials. Number two, I want to have actually, there's, a cute, there's a, an acute but important uh, historical connection between the trials and uh, a Jewish holiday, which is very, almost uh, borders on the metaphysical. Number three, I'd like to discuss briefly the Torah perspective on punishment 
for uh, murderers, and in our case, particularly Nazi murderers. What is the Torah's perspective? Do they deserve the death penalty? And number four, I'd like maybe to have a quick discussion to see if there's any differences how people in the crowd here feel about punishment for Nazis uh, for their, their famous crimes. So, firstly, a brief history of the Nuremberg trials. Between 1945 and 1949, there were a series of 13 international military tribunals known as the Nuremberg Trials. The first and best known were the major war criminal trials, which tried major figures of the Nazi killing machine. They appeared before the International Military Tribunal, which consisted of judges from the United States, the Soviet Union, France, and Great Britain. The defendants included organizations which were charged with crimes against peace, war crimes, and crimes against humanity. The first trial commenced on November 20th, 1945, of the war crime trials, and ended on October 1st. The trial ended on October 1st, 1946. So the trials ended in 1946, 70 years uh, ago. So a brief history. As early as April 20th, 1942. Now, does anyone know when the Wannsee Conference was? when they decide on the final solution, that was in January 1942. So really, uh, the Wannsee, albeit the final solution started the day they went into Poland, and the Einstadtsgruppen killed Russian Jews uh, as they, the, the Nazis advanced into Russia, but as a holistic decision to have genocide against the Jews, that was at Wannsee, which, which is a German town, and, it was a, and Eichmann was appointed that day to, be, to carry this out. That was in January. So in, already in April 20, 1942, representatives from nine German-occupied countries met in London with a draft letter called the Inter-Allied Resolution on German War Crimes. And in 19... Uh, uh, discussed what they would do when the Germans would fall. In November 1st, 1943, the Allies, in anticipation of victory, published a declaration on German atrocities in occupied Europe. In 1944, now this is as Hungarian Jewry, Yossi, is being burned daily. One day I would like to come back actually to discuss why the greatest tragedy was Hungarian Jewry, because really, Polish Jewry was, with the day the war started, were, were doomed. But Hungary was really the fact that that happened so late in the war, it was so preventable. There were so many things that could have been done to stop it, is beyond belief how that occurred. Um, but as this is going on uh, at the behest of Henry Morgenthau, who was a Jew, and who was the Treasury Secretary for uh, Roosevelt, they, um, they put out uh, a, a, another, another letter saying that the Nazis would be tried for war crimes when the war ended, hoping to stop the gassing of Hungarian Jews in Auschwitz. What was the, what the, in, in these discussions when the war ended, what were they going to do? There were multiple opinions. Morgenthau felt that, that as the Nazis were caught, don't even get, take them to trial. Shoot them dead. You see Himmler, shoot them dead. No reason to bring them to trial. Shoot the Nazi leaders dead as they're captured. Exile the lower leaders and make German POWs uh, rebuild what they destroyed. Secretary of War Henry Simpson advocated a trial process which should focus on la- labeling Nazi atrocities um, and waging a war of aggression as part of a criminal conspiracy. Uh, Churchill as well, Winston Churchill as well, originally favored execution without trial. Um, uh, there were disagreements, disagreements which continued, but ultimately at Yalta, when they discussed the final, at Yalta, when the major war leaders came together in, nine, in, in February 1945, it was decided that the Allies would pursue judicial the route, the judicial route. 
Shortly after FDR died in April 1944, 1945, excuse me, Robert Jackson, who was a Supreme Court Justice, in fact, Robert Jack- Jackson, who would be on the court for years as an associate justice, was actually supposed to be the head of the Supreme Court, but lost it. While he was at Nuremberg, there were a lot of political shenanigans that went, out, went on, and Truman appointed somebody else to the Supreme Court. But Robert Jackson, who was the American prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials, was a Supreme Court justice. So they, not only did they do it as a, a judicial re- process, but they put Robert Jackson, one of the most important uh, lawyers, the judge in the Supreme Court, as the prosecutor at the Nuremberg tri- uh, trials. Um, and in, on August 6th, they decided the, 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 how they would run the trials. Now, in the first trial, there would be the great war criminals. There were 24 defendants. Who is not a defendant? Adolf Hitler, who committed suicide along with Heinrich Heimler. As the Russians were pouring into Berlin, Hitler commits suicide in a bunker in, on May 1st. The next day, on May 2nd, uh, Joseph Goebbels would commit suicide as well. So those th- three certainly were three of the top Nazis. They would not go to trial. They committed suicide. Of the 24, Martin Bormann, who was the number two, was the number two uh, de- deputy in Hitler's uh, uh, Nazi regime, uh, and really, and you, you know, Bormann is one of these figures they looked for years. Uh, it was a, was a, was a disgusting individual. Everything about him. Um, he was tried in abs in abs abstention. They didn't know where he was. In fact, what Wiesenthal looked for him for years. Ultimately, they found his body. He, Martin Bormann had ten kids. One of his kids became a priest. His oldest kid, who is called Martin Adolf Bormann, whose godfather was Hitler, Adolf Hitler himself, this young man became a priest. Uh, and when they found his skull after a large thing in 1972, they genetically tested it, and it was his. But he was, he was buried, actually he committed suicide a week after uh, in, in Berlin. He found his body in Berlin. But Bormann at the time, they didn't know where he was, um, until uh, 1972, he, was, he had committed suicide. They tried him, and they, de- they sentenced him to death by hanging. Another person who would have been tried was Robert Ley, who was the head of the German Labor Front. He also committed suicide shortly before the trials. So there were 22 people on trial. The defendants included Hermann Göring, Hitler's designated successor, Rudolf Hess, who was the Hippies' deputy Führer, Joachim von Richtenberg, uh, Rubenschrapp, who was a foreign minister who signed the original with Russia. Albert Speer was the head of the armaments. There were two purposes of the trial. Number one, when the Nuremberg trials started, you have to also remember, if anyone read Wiesenthal's Murders Amongst Us? Anyone read, read, anyone read Simon Wiesenthal's book, Murders Amongst Us? If, if you can handle such books, I know some people don't like to read such things, it's a remarkable book. I highly recommend the book. I mean, you know, it's one of those books, of course, Wiesenthal was a survivor, but he talks about chasing after these Nazis. I mean, and what is clear is that when the war ended, they didn't even know, they didn't know even who were the heads of, of Treblinka. Most people who were Holocaust victims died. You know, Treblinka had a, a close to a million dead. How many survivors of Treblinka? Forty. So whoever murdering people in Treblinka, no one would even know who they were. There were so many things they didn't know when the war ended. Right? And many, many Nazis would, would, actually get a, would actually get away. So even some of the crimes that they did 
were very, very difficult to do. So at the trial, the first thing they wanted to do was to establish the criminal nature of the general, forgetting the, 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 the defendants, to prove that the Nazis were murderers. And, it, and the truth is, if they had held a trial 20 years later, they would have had so much more. What they found out afterwards, how this, the more you read the perverseness, the sadism of these people, it's beyond belief. I'm not talking to a crowd that knows this. But even we, I, we, people who survived didn't even know what was going on in other places. How awful, how terrible these people were. So they first wanted to try to, to prove that Nazis as a whole were a criminal regime and the terrible things they did. And number two were the actual defendants. These people who were, their, their, their personal crimes against humanity. And horrific and overwhelming proof was presented. In fact, one of the things that was used against the Nazis were their own meticulous records. They recorded many, many of their own atrocities. What was the outcome of the major war criminals trial? So on Tuesday, October 1st, 1946, the defendants entered the courtroom for the last time. Sir Geoffrey Lawrence, who was the judge, was a British from, from, from England, instructed them to remain seating. seated. There were 10 individuals who got the death sentence. These 10 individuals, who I'll swing back to afterwards, were William Frick, uh, who was the, the head of the interior, Alfred Jodl, who was the, the chief operations st- of staff, Ernest Kaltbrenner, who was the head of the main security, Wil- Wilhelm Keitel, who was the field marshal, supreme command of the, uh, of the armed forces, Joachim von Ribbentrop, who was the foreign minister, Alfred Rosenberg, who really oversaw much of the, the Nazi propaganda and the Nazi theories of, of race and, and genocide, Fritz Sokol, who, 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 who ran the slave labor camps, uh, Arthur Seiss Inquart, who was, a, who was in charge of Anschluss and later, later was in charge of, of large parts of Poland. Julius Streicher, who ran the, the media for the Nazis and ran Der Strumer, which was famous for their anti-Semitic characters and many other things. And Hans Frank, who was a lawyer himself and who let work for the Nazi party and also was in charge of German-occupied Poland and watched this, the murder of three and a half million Polish Jews. Rosenberg. Huh? Rosenberg was not Jewish. But Rosenberg... When he ever would find a Jew with the name Rosenberg, he would try to kill him specifically. He had tremendous hatred that a Jew could have his, uh, his name, but they, they, they were not. Others got 20-year sentences, including Spear, uh, Funk, Ryder, and two, one got 15, one got a 10-year sentence. How were the punishments carried out? So on all, October 16, 1946, they were, high, they, were, they were hung, the 10 people who were hung. Their ashes were then were cremated. Um, and thrown into the river. All of the Nazis that would be caught, their ashes were cremated and thrown, lest there would be places to, people would, you know, of course, there were neo-Nazis. Imagine, you know, Germany falls in 1945. You know, there are still, for decades, many, many people who are Nazis. In fact, when you read Wiesenthal's book, Austria in particular, after the Holocaust, they had large amounts of the jury, the, the jurists, the judiciary, the lawyers were still Nazis, and that's why Wiesenthal always had a hard time prosecuting because the countries, it took years for the ideology of Germany and Austria to change, right? It's not like overnight the Nazis were, were ruling Germany. The next day, okay, everything's okay. Like, well, we just changed our mind. We love Jews. We love everyone. That didn't, it didn't exactly go that way. And they were concerned that if they would ever know where, the, where, where, where Goring or Rosenberg or Streicher was better, there would be neo-Nazis and other barbarians who would go there and give homage to such people. They didn't give the opportunity. They were, their, their ashes were cremated and thrown into the river. Even Bormann, who was found in 1972 and 1999, 
his ashes were cremated, he was cremated and his ashes were thrown into the water and no one should know where this person, this monster was buried. What were the attitudes on some of the defendants? So Goring, when he got his death sentence, actually they, they brought down uh, that, you know, he, was, he started saying death, you know, he, he, he refused to admit it. Ribbentrop, Frank, they all had different reactions. We'll get to a very interesting thing afterwards. Goring himself would commit suicide. He said he refused to be hung. He said it's not a, a noble death. And he committed suicide in his jail cell before, before being uh, um, hung. How did he kill him? What? He saw it stuck cyanide. You know, the, uh, so who gave it to him? Uh, so who gave it I don't think so. I don't think so. And they didn't search them properly. Yeah. Well, visitors. It's inconclusive. They never prosecuted. If whether they knew or they didn't know, we don't know. It means they may have known. They may have, he may have asked somebody, but we don't know. But the reality, it wasn't, uh, to my knowledge, I remember it, they didn't, it was never found out. Okay, so um, uh, the, the subsequent trials, I'm going to go back to the war, major world trial, trials, was a doctor's trial. Doctors, you know what it meant to be a doctor, a Mengele, these monsters. Mengele was never caught, unfortunately. He was, um, but, uh, but the doctor's trial was from December 9th, 1946 to August 20th, 1947, uh, in which 23 defendants were accused of crimes against humanity, including medical experiments on prisoners of war, the experience uh, ranged from studying the effects of high altitude and malaria. They used to inject malaria into patients. They used to, you know, you know that the cyanide that they perfected for the camps, they, they had a plane called Hortheim in Germany, where for, for years they, they took people, 40, pe- 40 to 80 people a day, and tested the best methods of execution. That in Germany, the, the, all of the future camp leaders of Sobibor and Belzic and Auschwitz were trained, were trained in this place which was top secret. And they would test methods. And in the camps, they would test methods. Doctors would, would inject diseases, electric shocks, all kinds of terrible things. Some, a small fraction, a small fraction of these doctors were part of this doctor's trial. The judge's trial, which went, which went from March 5th to, to, to uh, December 4th, 1947, 16 lawyers and judges were charged with implementing the eugenics laws of the Third Reich, um, there were 185 uh, others who were indicted in these trials, and 142 found guilty. Um, 77 refer- uh, got, uh, got, got long-term prison sentences. Um, there were other trials all the way to the 1950s. Uh, 5,000 other defendants, 806. Uh, the trials, by the way, really ended in 1949. Anyone know why the trials ended in 1949? Israel? No. No. And it would have continued for a long time. The Cold War. The Cold War. The Cold War ended Nuremberg. Because, essentially, you have to remember, that who, was the, who were the, the people working in conjunction? It was the Russians, England, France, and the United States. When, Russia, when they started to fight over Berlin, they started to fight over, the, the, and the Cold War got heated, then there was no more uh, acts in unison. In fact, they had bigger problems in, in Americans' minds and the English minds than running after the past. They were worried about the future, and the Cold War really ended all of the, the, the other trials and largely ended much of the opportunity to get Nazis in the Eastern well, Europe. Stalin passed away. Stalin passed away in 1954. Yeah, Hanukkah 53, going into 1954, right? 
right? Uh, I mean, really, actually going to Purim is when he died. Um, but he started to get sick then. So, um, in the middle of the doctor's trial, by the way, right? In the middle of the doctor's scandal, that's when Stalin got sick. The legacy of these trials, due to the Nuremberg trials, due to the Nuremberg trials, much acts of legislation happened. The 1948 United States uh, Genocide Convention happened because of the Nuremberg trials. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a direct correlation to the Nuremberg trials. The Geneva Convention on the Laws of War and Customs of War. Uh, the Nuremberg Principles in 1950, the 1968, this is very important, by the way, 1968 Convention on Abolition, the Statue of Limitations of War Crimes and Crimes Against Humanity. There is no, nothing in the Bible, nothing against, in Roman law, nothing against English law about statute limitations, right? Can you imagine Austria had a law, a 20-year statute of limitations for murder? So that would mean if in 1967... Adolf Hitler fat was found in Austria. He'd be walk on the street. You couldn't do a thing to him. Yeah. Statue of limitations. When Eichmann was killed. Eichmann was killed. It was caught, was caught in 1960. Yeah. yeah. The trial was 1960, right? So in Argentina. But you imagine, so you have a statue of limitations on Hitler? Could you have a statue on limitations on Eichmann? So in and, and Austria, because, again, there was a lot of things that they didn't want to prosecute. I mean, Kurt Waldheim was in the 80s. Yeah was a former Nazi. Many of Aust- you remember Austria was, they blamed, they said, we were, not, we were in Germany, even though they had Anschluss, even though many of the most high-ranking Nazis, including Hitler, were Austrian. Yeah. <laughs> All right? yeah. they, 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 they were terrible. I mean, you can, I, I, again, I re- suggest Wiesenthal's book, you'll get, a good, you'll get a good impression of how, what it meant to try to prosecute these Nazis. An unbelievable thing about uh, the, the, actually, I thought that there's a movie called the Judgment of Nuremberg. The Judgment of Nuremberg came out in 1961. Of course, it's a fictional um, movie. But at the end of the movie, at the end of the movie, Chief Justice Haywood, uh, which was played by Spencer Tracy, is a great line, and I think it really highlights what the Nuremberg trials are. This is what he says in, in, in the movie: "Judgment at Nuremberg. A country isn't a rock. It is not an extension of oneself. It is. It's what it stands for." It's what it stands for when standing for something is, 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 is the most difficult. Before the people of the world, world, let it now be noted that here, in our decision, that what we stand for, means what we stand for, what the, what, the, what, the, what the allied powers stood for, as opposed to Nazis, is justice, truth, and the value of a single human being. All things that you, for your country, did not stand for. These ten people I mentioned, Frick, Jodl, Kaltenberger, Keitel, Reibenschaub, Rosenberg, Sokol, Inkart, Streicher, and Frank were all judged 70 years ago on September the 30th and October the 1st. Remarkably, those two days, 70 years ago, were doing the Aserah Simea Tshuva, doing the ten days of repentance. On the fifth and sixth days of the ten days of repentance, right between Rosh Hashanah, the day of judgment, and Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. The execution of all ten who were hung, all ten of these Nazi animals, murderers of millions, of 11 million million innocent people, 6 million Jews, was on October... uh, was on October 16th, 1946, which was the 21st of Tishrei, which in the Jewish calendar comes out to Hoshana Rabbah. Hoshana Rabbah is the sixth day of Sukkot. And Kabbalistically, the Zohar says that Hoshana Rabbah is a day when all of the judgments of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur become sealed. In, 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 in the Alter Heim, they say, you have a piskatovoy. 
It should be a final good letter. Shanarabah is when your judgment is given over to, to the heavenly court. They were killed on Hoshana Rabbah, 1946. Right? There was one, one remarkable statement that um, Streicher, who, had, who was the, the, the publisher of Destrumer, which was this Nazi, you know, you people think today, they talk about media this way, that way. Destrumer made the Jews into the devil and constantly agitated for murder of Jews, destruction of Jews, taking of Jewish property. Streicher, as he went to his death on that Hoshana Rabbah, right, um, Jackson, uh, who is, who, who, um, and Whitney R. Harris, who was the official officer, Justin said, said this is what Stryker said, he said, Hail Hitler! Hail Hitler! As he climbed the sta- sta- stairs to go to his, to his death, he says, Now I go to God. Listen to this. Now I go to God. Purim Festival 1946. Purim Festival. This is Stryker says, 1946, and now to God. Newsweek Magazine, I actually have a copy of this in my office. I should have brought it. Newsweek Magazine, 1946. This is October 28th, 1946. Newsweek Magazine, when they were reporting on the trials, describe the hanging more graphically. So there's four in a fair section, page 46. Okay, so October 28th, 1946, the, 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 the hangings were on October 16th. So only Julius Streicher went without dignity. He had to be pushed across the for, floor, wild-eyed and screaming, Hell, Hitler! Meaning the morning, mounting the steps, he cried out, and now I go to God. He stared at the witness facing the gallows and shouted, Purim Fest 1946. Very cryptic. What in the world, Streicher, who had studied Judaism, Eichmann also had studied Judaism, why is he screaming on Hoshana Rabbah 1946? Now there's a remarkable verse in Esther. A remarkable verse in Esther. When talking about uh, the, book, the, the Purim story, and how the ten sons of Haman were hung. The ten sons of Haman were hung. What is, if you look at the ten sons of Haman being hung, if you look at the text, I'll show it to anyone afterwards. In the Miseratic text, there are three letters which are small. The Tav, the Shin, and the Zion. This means, if you look at a, a Megillah, like the Torah, you know, the, the big Hebrew letters, these three letters are very small by the hanging, by, by the hanging of the sons of Haman. These three letters come to 707. There's one letter that's huge. It's the Vav, right? Which is the Vav, which is the si- which is six. So if you put that, the year comes to 5707. 5707 was the, the 1946. In the Jewish calendar, 5707 was 1946. And really, on the, it was his Purim Fest 1946. The, the ultimate victory was when the ten sons of Haman were hung. Streicher screams out, Purimfest 1946. And if you look at this, if you would have looked at this text for years before, nobody knew why the, these three letters were small and the vote was big, and it equals 5707. So really you see a, a certain element of uh, div- divinity in the punishment. It's not so much so that Streicher himself screams out, it's a Newsweek magazine, Purimfest 1946, when they were judged and hung on Hoshana Rabbah. I'm not answering that question, but that's what he, that's what he, what he did scream out. Very briefly, a Torah perspective on the punishment of Nazis. So, I would say that the, the murder of these people, and the murder of, uh, of people like Eichmann afterwards, uh, certainly I get little satisfaction. <laughs> it didn't help my great-grandparents or my great-uncles uh, or my, my, my parents' siblings. 
who are murdered or many, many of the people here. They're, 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 these trials didn't accomplish anything as far as that. But what is the Torah's perspective as far as us? So Chaim Shmulevitz, who is actually to the Mir Yeshiva, who is the Mashkiach of the Mir, who himself was a survivor, albeit most of his family died, he escaped with the Mir Yeshiva to Shanghai. He was in World War II in Shanghai with other Lithuani- with Lithuanian Jews from the Mir Yeshiva. So Chaim Shmulevitz um, says that Nekama, the word revenge, in Tanakh, in the, in the 24 books of Scripture, comes Kel Nekama Sashem. That the, the name that, that um, the Lord of God is vengeance. It's between the two names of Hashem, and in fact, the Talmud in Bracha says as well, Kel Nekamas Hashem. That the Lord, the name of God is vengeance, and that is because what divine vengeance is, it's settling right and wrong. There's, a, there's an element of justice in this world that when Nazis or anyone else can murder, they don't. Get, they get away with it. There's no justice in the world. And when there's justice in this world, when there's reward and punishment, when the people who victimize and murder and rape and, and medical do medical experiments on others, when they come to their justice, there's an element of divinity in that. In fact, the Medrash says that, that, that when the Jewish people sang, we know we say, Az Yashir, when we crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptians who were torturing us for 200 years, they died, and we sang there, there was an element of, divine, of, of, of divinity that was nowhere else because these Egyptians had punished and murdered Jewish children, throw them into the bricks uh, for, for, for years. Uh, and he brings down that, in fact, the Torah says that whoever sheds the blood of man, by, by man shall his blood be shed for the image of God he has made. That to not, to not punish such people is to excuse murder in this world, to excuse injustice in this world. That to forgive such people and to say time heals all world wounds is there's no justice in this world. It means that you can be an Eichmann and living in Argentina having a good life when millions of people suffer because of you. That failure would be a lack of justice. Um, in fact, actually, anyone heard of David Galanter? Anyone who's computer science this professor in Yale? David Galanter? He's a famous professor at Yale. So he, he actually was sent a bomb by the Unabomber many years ago. So Galerinter, uh, and, and he wrote a book called Drawing Life, Surviving the Unabomber. This is what he says. It is through capital punishment of murderers and not by running to forgive them that we as our society show our respect for the dead and proclaim the value of human life. Now, we're not talking about whether, how capital punishment works and whether there's enough witnesses. That's all legitimate discussions. If we don't know for sure it's a person and it's no eyewitnesses and it's we're not talking about when you know 100% that Adolf Hitler is Adolf Hitler. And it's, it's unquestionable. Right? To say Adolf Hitler, you know what, we'll put you in jail for the rest of your life, that's okay. That doesn't show respect for the dead. It doesn't proclaim justice for the, for, 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 for the human life. In fact, it says in Kohalas Rabbah, he was merciful when he should be cruel, will end up being cruel when he should be, will be merciful. Um, and, and, and it also says in Kohalas, there's a time to hate. You know, Judaism certainly, there are certain Christians. If anyone ever read another book called, by Wiesenthal called The Sunflower? Anybody? Nobody? It's also a very important book. Uh, it talks about forgiving. But, you know, there are Christian ideologies out there that you should forgive. You know, when, this, when the Amish, when that tragedy happened a few years ago and this, they were killed, some of the family members, these little girls were killed, they, they, they said, we forgive you. How do you forgive? I mean, the, the, I mean, at least there it's them, but to forgive people 
you know, who, who, who murdered is to almost to, 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 to not look at take the crime as serious as it is. So really, the Nuremberg trials, besides what it caused, comes in a Jewish perspective. So I'd like to actually, now that's a, a synopsis of Nuremberg trials, I'd like to ask three questions. Number one, I'd like to hear what people say in the audience. Number one is, and I, I'll, I'll throw this out, does anyone think that Adolf Hitler, if he was caught, should not get punished? If Adolf Hitler was caught, was caught, would you say that he should be executed? <coughs> Who would say he should be executed? <laughs> Jack, you think you don't think he should be executed? Well, I, I think he should. Okay. What if? What if? What if? Uh, what if today we had found more? You, you know, sorry. I just, uh, I just have another comment <coughs> about it. So, you know, you quoted some things from the Talmud that support um, retributive justice rather than restorative justice. Right. There are alternative Talmudic narratives. So, for example, you remember that Rav Meir in Beruya, the famous story where Rav Meir is um, being tormented by these bullies, you know, in the neighborhood, and they're throwing things at him, and they're calling him names. And his wife overhears him praying that these people should, should die. die. Right. And she says, what are you doing? Why are you praying that they should die? You know, you're, you're as bad as they are. Well, she doesn't say that part. I added that in this editorial. But then he's, so, so she says, instead of saying, it says, so you might say, it says all sinners should die. And she says, but instead of reading it as all sinners should die, you know, we could read it as all sins should die. Right. And we should be instead praying that they change their ways and that they be different people. Right. And so I think, you know, it's hard not to abandon any sort of utopian idealism that would imagine that even someone like Hitler could somehow... God is a powerful man. And that somehow God... You so what's, what's your name? Oh, yeah. Last name? God could, Reuben, could somehow so. transform even a monster, even a serial killer, even a mass murderer, that somehow it is possible, it's within the realm of possibility. And I'm not saying it is or it isn't, I'm just saying you can understand why Bruria, now so. she was talking about bullies, not murderers, but still, Bless. I have this hope that people could transform. So it's hard to know when did someone cross so, okay, the line so, to being something that is never possible to restore and it's hard to know. So it's a great question. I thank you very much for that and question. The world turns out yeah, dying. Yeah, I thank you. I, I, yes. yes. Okay, That's a great question and I thank you, Chaya, for that question. Did everybody hear the last part, which is when do you cross the yeah. line? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. So, so that story from Emir and Burial, which is in, which is in the Gemara. So that's talking about when there's no real victims. In fact, in fact, the, there's no victims. It's just a person who's being harassed. And in fact, they were harassing him religiously. Right? That's where they were, it was really religious harassment. Um, a person should be able to move on from that hope that they do repentance. But there's a difference when murder is involved, when, 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 when people, when life is, and you see that the Torah itself has a death penalty, un, unequivocally. You know, so we, there are, are, are acts when there are victims, when there are realities and consequences of actions. The case you brought is true. If somebody's bothering you, 
if somebody is a- a- antagonizing you, you should pray for them. You should, you should have, but, and that's also you, you yourself. You're the, actually the victim, and you could pray for them. But when you're murdered, you can't pray for them. When you're murdered, that's a reality that can never change. In fact, the Talmud says that murder is one of the things that can never go back. You can't bring the person. You can't bring the person. You cannot bring the person back. So you're right. When you talk about certain types of offenses, we, we do look to forgive and to pray and to help you do better. But there are certain things that are realities in the world, and that's what's coming. Kama That's a great question, though. But so just I wanted to just just to flesh it out. Actually, I, again, I, I very much appreciate the question. That one is if you, I think it's almost universally Hitler. Well, let's say, let's say somebody today would be 95 years old. 95 years old, and in 1943, 1944, he's 95 years old, he's living in Pittsburgh, 1943, 1944, he murdered 8,000 Jews. He now has children and grandchildren, and he's living in Pittsburgh under false identity. Who thinks he should get the death penalty? Who thinks he should not? You mean... Children and no, the person, no, the, 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 the Nazi. Ah, uh, of course. Of course. So, the fact, so you would say, even though he's 95 years old, you should get... Matter. yeah. Okay, and what if, this, what if, what if in the same person, you find him, and he killed one person? In 1943, he murdered one Jewish child, a Jewish girl, there's eyewitness testimony, that he, that he took a gun and blew the kid's head off. He's now living in Pittsburgh. He's not, it, it's 70... Something years later, if he should be killed? who thinks he should be killed? Who thinks he should not be killed? So, yes, and we all agree here. So, yes. What kind of a life that he been living all these years? Well, I mean, there's many cases like this today yeah. where people found years later, and you hear today people say, you know what? Let bygones be bygones. You know, he's a grandfather. He's a great grandfather. Right? And I and I would contend that the Jewish perspective is is. No, these, these crimes are crimes against humanity. Time didn't bring the victims back again. And certainly it doesn't, doesn't bring justice for this person to live out his life in a good life. But it appears that everyone agrees. So I, that is our part of this. Does anyone have any questions on any topic? We did this last time. I thought it was very good. Any questions on any topic? Holocaust or anything else related? Yes, Mr. Gahn. The question is about what we're talking about. Is why doesn't Israel have the death penalty? Great question. So, so Israel officially doesn't have the death penalty, um, and it, there is a great discussion about. Of course, Eichmann was an exception to that rule. Um, I don't want to speak for it. I think it's because of other Jewish sensitivities going back. Uh, but as a general rule, you should know the Sanhedrin didn't have uh, a death penalty from the year thirty of the Common Era. I would imagine if they had any such people, you know, you know, Saddam, Saddam Hussein, of course, was a, a typical example of this. When he what was his punishment, death, because he had killed hundreds of thousands of people. Um, you know, why then? I can't speak for them. I, 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 I question it myself, but I think it comes from a good place. But in theory, when they did have an Eichmann, they did give him the death penalty. <coughs> yes. The, What's your name? Uh, Richard. Last name? Spectre. Spectre. Thank you. Okay. Um, on the issue of the death penalty, it is a fact. That innocent people have been yes, I, and I agree. By the way, if it would be up to me, a Torah perspective on the death penalty is you can't take circumstantial evidence back to the top. Right? It has to be, uh, it has to be two eyewitnesses and the person's warned. So we're not talking about questionable people. Yeah. The people are Adolf Hitler. 
people are, are Heinrich Himmler, people are goring. So you're correct. When I, talk, I, I would say that a Torah perspective is not to start going out and give death, death penalty, but if you have un, unimpeachable witnesses, you have the videotape showing the murder, him killing little kids, testing poison on people, that's what we're talking about. That's why I wanted to mention, in theory, that de- in practice, you know, of course, we were not, in fact, the, the Talmud says you can never use circumstantial evidence in such cases because, because of the things you mentioned, there are uh, mistakes. Even with DNA, there can be mistakes. So we're talking of direct eyewitnesses and unimpeachable evidence. But that's a good question. Anything else on this topic? Yes, what's your name? My name is Rubin. Rubin. Uh, the mama, okay. Right. And I am a Holocaust survivor. You're a survivor from where? From, uh, I live in Where? Oh. But um, the, uh, the, the that accusation to us came in 1942, right after the Wannsee Conference. And the Slovaks created their own fascist state and they went in collaboration with Hitler, the Axis powers. So between March and December of 1942, 95% of the Jews in my town and in Slovakia were in Auschwitz and killed. So I did not, none of my siblings and my parents did not survive. Uh, What I sometimes talk to children, school children, about my experiences, and sometimes people ask me, can I forgive the Nazis, you know? So it depends what Nazis you're talking about. You're talking about an absolute killer where there is evidence that he was shooting young children, I don't know what I would say. But as a general rule, I would say that the circumstances under which people grew up for more than 50 years before Hitler in the Germanies, including Austria, plays a great role. So I would say that intellectually, I could have been one of those people Nobody chooses their mother's belly, you know? And someone who has been indoctrinated for 50 years by this horrible propaganda, intellectually, I could conceive of forgiving. As Chaya mentioned, maybe, you know, something could happen and these people could become, could do tshuva. So, so I would just, you know, she's asking a very. But emotionally. No, no. Or, yeah, I, I just, you know, if you look, by the way, that the people who were in the, the camps, there were different types of Nazis. Obviously, it's a difference if you're in the SS or the SA or the SD, in the Gestapo, and the Nazis themselves, the people who were in the death camps, largely were people who wanted to be there, and they were sadists, and they were kill, they were killers. And there were murderers. You know, there were many German boys who ended up on the front lines, millions of them, who were unaware of the Holocaust. I would certainly say they were different. Uh, but I don't think one could ever justify at any level what these people did. Uh, that doesn't, there's nothing to do with their birth method. There were many people who didn't take part of it. There were Germans who fought against the system, many of them, uh, before and after Hitler was in power. There were others who did not volunteer for these kinds of units. Um, in fact, some of them you had to you had to complete complete secrecy. So I would say I would never forgive anyone who was in Auschwitz, Bergen-Belsen, Soerberg, Belzik, Treblinka, places where my relatives were murdered, 
Um, and I don't think anyone else should. I think there are other people who are part of a system, and you could say maybe they didn't stand up and be counted, but it was difficult. But the people who were murderers wanted to be murderers, by and large. Yeah. By the way, not, not many of them even was caught and was known that they participated. Right. You know, like, Al Shram, thank you. Yeah, like I, I, I'm a survivor, but I wasn't in the place where the killer was, from Odessa, let's say. We were able, small part of the family, four of us, my father, my mother, myself, and my grandmother, one of my grandmother, we escaped through the sea when Odessa was already surrounded. And the rest of the family, my grandparents, my old uncle, all the rest of the family was killed in Odessa. That wasn't camp. That wasn't known like our right. streets or Treblinka, but Odessa, first 10 days when they came into the city, they surrounded one big uh, warehouse where the soldiers used to stay. They collect 25,000 Jews who left there, the, the people who, who was running from the Nazi, from Belarus, from when they first in, 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 came under the war. Odessa was only in August of 1941 started to be in defense, but the war started in June. So we left Odessa in end of August. So when they came, 25,000 Jews collected in that warehouse was burned to death alive. Yes, and then after that, few years ago, opened up in the border between Odessa and suburb, the big place where there was buried Jew killed, even that known, right. unknown, when and how it happened. So how we can forgive? I am alive, but my family yeah. vanished. You can't forgive people who were... Yeah, you're, you're, I was in full consciousness. Now I am 87, so my memory is very, very fresh. I would never, ever forgive any any death of one Jew who didn't deserve it. Right. And then Stalin continued that, that, uh, right. uh, uh, that way to exterminate the Jew because the 1943, right after his death, there was open story that under the Moscow was concentrated hundreds of ready uh, the train, uh, cargo train, empty, to concentrate all Jew, all Jew right. from Russia, and put them in Siberia, right. and make them to die on the way to Siberia, not even to bring them to Siberia. All who left after the war alive. Right. So still, still. In fifty-three, in fifty-three, Stalin was dead. So he. On, on all that 10 years, from 1945, when the war was ended, till his death, it wasn't known. We knew from Vo Voice of America, because we were listening. My son listened, I listened in Yiddish, in, in English. We knew about what, what would happen. We were ready for that. But Stalin passed away. Not now even known how he passed away. God help him, but would be complete decision of Jewish problem to just 
Exterminate the Jew. So how we can forgive? Yeah, so two two comments. Simon Wiesenthal, in his book The Sunflower, it was he, he says he's a famous story. in all the movies about him. He, he was brought in to a dying Nazi soldier who had murdered Jews on the front line. He, they, they, the Nazis had in, in Russia, they had rounded up people, put them in a house, and this soldier, this soldier. As a kid ran out, he opened fire and killed a kid and killed other people, murdered these kids. He, in, on his deathbed, he called, asked for any Jew to come in, and they pulled Wiesenthal into this, into the, into, 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 into this, this dying German soldier. And actually, Wiesenthal, after the word, looked at this family. He had grown up in a Catholic family. It was like an unbelievable thing. And he, and, and he asked him to forgive him for murdering this kid. And at the time, Wiesenthal writes, it was 1943, he himself had lost his family, he was half dead himself, and he said he didn't say anything, either way, you know, and afterwards he has a symposium in the sunflower of people who were asked. And one of the things that almost everyone says, except for some Catholics, is how could you forgive a crime that was done to others? <laughs> who are you to forgive that? No. You're, this little kid was murdered by this soldier. Who are you to forgive the murderer? Who are you? How could you can for, you can forgive something done to you? Who are you to forgive the murder of this little child who was sucked out of life at such a young age? Who are you to forgive? You can forgive your son, don't yourself. You cannot forgive other people. And Wiesenthal actually said he walked out of the room. He didn't say anything. He couldn't. How? The book actually is a symposium on this question. The other thing I would just say: we said, let's take Auschwitz. Auschwitz. There were six thousand guards in Auschwitz. Over a million and a half people died. Yes, you had killed in Auschwitz. What? Any of your family end up in Auschwitz? Did your family end up in Auschwitz? Your family in Auschwitz? A million and a half, at least a million and a half people killed. 6,000 guards, only 900 were identified. I mean, if somebody comes today, they would catch him. I, I, you know, if he knew 100%. Un, again, your, your, your point is very important, Brother Richard. It, we're not talking about speculative stuff over here. That's a whether it's in America or Nazis. We're talking 100%, you know. I, you know, how were people to forgive such things? No. You know, uh, you did. You had a question. I had to say um, observation or comment. Uh, the Jewish Film Festival had two, what I say, are excellent films that mm-hmm. I saw. Uh, one was yeah. the Labyrinth of Lies, that addresses the um, the idea that there were so many Germans that participated but were never caught, and in the Labyrinth of Lies. The investigator is looking for people in Frankfurt on Main who knew about it. And the uh, German people had decided to put all that behind them and leave, quote, good lives. And they just wanted to move on. But the prosecutor said, we're going to identify you because you need to be punished, not for trying to live a good life, but what you participated in. That was one film. And the other film was called Remember, who had um, Christopher Plummer, a famous actor. Excellent, excellent film that had a one-on-one experience about looking for the perpetrator of the crimes in the concentration camps. I recommend both if you're up to it. And also the People versus Fritz They are, one I think, they are Hollywood films. But uh, they're excellent films, and it gives a perspective of what was being done and what can be done, uh, just to bring the people to account. In terms of punishment and justice, that is probably yet to be decided. But it's, 
it falls in line with a lot of the things right. that you've been saying. And again, my wife's grandfather, who lost her, his family, he went to the trials. He actually dressed up as a lawyer. He was living in Firth in the DP camp after the Holocaust, and he was he had seen a lot. Uh, and he went there just to see these people come to justice. He, he went there to see the murderers of his parents. It didn't help bring his parents back alive or his siblings. It didn't give him back his life that he had lost for years. But he wanted to see justice. Right? And it wasn't about bringing back the past. It was just a sense that we live in a world where it's good to see some rights. Where it's good to see that you can't get away with murder and live a happy life in Argentina or in Syria, like some Nazis did, or other places, or even in Pittsburgh. Um, last question, anyone? Is it historically one of them who had remorse? Uh, at the trials? Yeah. Spear had remorse. Hans Frank had a little bit. Spear had remorse. Um, uh, Albert Spear was in charge of getting the Germans to armaments. He was actually put in Spandau for 20 years. And when he was released, it was the media sensation. Uh, and really, for the rest of his life, he donated to Jewish causes and expressed remorse. Uh, that's, um, you know, that's, that says, uh, that, you know, it doesn't bring that, but it says a lot. As opposed to um, others who actually, I'll make in my notes even. Oh, yes, Rudolf Hess. Listen to this. At his, as he gets to his, up to his death, Hess says his final statement. This is Hess's final statement. That it had been his pleasure to work under the greatest son, Adolf Hitler, which my people produced in its a thousand year history. As he goes to his death, he talks about his pleasure to work for the greatest of German history. Gory, at the trial, they played back some of Hitler's sayings. He said he was motivated. Gory was listening to him. He said, Isn't this beautiful? At the Nuremberg trial, these people had no remorse. You know, I, the New Yorker has articles on Goring saying the man had no emotion. I mean, it was just Borman also, who never caught, and they found his that They said he never, there was zero emotion ever in it. Remind me your name. I'm Doris. Doris, the and, chief. And, um, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So much for this wonderful talk. And I wanted to finish that last statement that you said and ask... What do you? What are the implications for the current day neo-Nazi movement, who worship Hitler as a god and worship his works, and want to continue his legacy as that man going to, yep. to his death? And what do you think the implications are for you know today's um, well, the Jews today and others? But um, I'm I, I, yeah. yeah. It's hard to, you know, uh, you know, when you talk about the neo-Nazis today, they're largely, and the neo-Nazis, not talking about anything else, but are marginal groups. There are some of all these ideologies out there in the world today. Um, I think really what people here are doing, uh, you know, the more knowledge there are, there is. I hate to say it, you know, I, I was a history major, um, a child of four Holocaust survivors. Even most Jews are. Can, I would say greatly uninformed of what really happened in 1939-1944. They know six million, but it's so irrelevant. I mean, it's just like a number. It, it, when you when you look at what happened and how it happened, and you know, I took when I was in law school. I first his name was Harry Reicher. He's actually an Orthodox Jew. He taught. He's an adjunct professor at University of Pennsylvania Law School. He had been a uh, uh, one of the top jurists in Australia. He actually. The tax code in Australia he was largely responsible for 
Um, he was in an NGO in the human. He actually taught two courses at Penn Law, two courses in human rights. He taught a, this is a classic class, uh, Nazi Nazi law and the Holocaust. And basically, what he showed in this class was, and you know, it was, it was lots of all kinds of people in the class. How everything the Nazis did was legislated, starting by Nuremberg laws. By the way, the Nuremberg trials were purposely held in Nuremberg to show that this is where we're going to hold the trials. Where even the Nuremberg Festival, which they used to play Wagner and the Bayreuth Festival, there's a lot of stuff that went on that they picked Nuremberg on purpose. But one of the things is that when you understand what happened, you can look, you know, how awful it is and hate. And all these extremities usually comes from ignorance. Sometimes it's ignorance of who Jews are. And very often today, it's ignorance exactly how evil and how terrible these things were. The more light that's in the world, the Hanukkah represents, the less dark that's in the world. The more people live, light had, quite frankly, more Germans stood up to Hitler earlier on. He would have never got to power. It took a lot of people to put him into power. He may have hijacked it later on, but it didn't come from nowhere. <laughs> it came from a lot of people being misled and confused in darkness. The more light this in the world, the less there is. I would just, I'll, I'll, and then I'll say it's, it's late, and I appreciate everyone coming. First of all, thank Mrs. Ravel, sorry, for organizing it and inviting me. I really appreciate it, again, the opportunity. You know, it is Hanukkah. As I mentioned, I really look at it as an honor to speak to such a group because you represent our past, but you also are living in the, in, in the present. And I give everyone a bracha, you should continue to spread the light of where we came from, who we are today, and in that merit, we, we our families, the Jewish people in the world, should have a better and brighter future. Thank you. Thank you.